Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, the show where if we had known that joining the Republican Party would have felt this good, we would have done it years ago. Though somebody recently told me that you get smarter as you get closer to 40, so I guess I am wise beyond my years. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday morning, right after Charlie and right before Nahum, as I hope to bring you a little news, a little relief, and the life you are leading and comfort that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. I am coming to you from the home of the Nahum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side. I am joined this morning by ZK, which is a nice treat. Good morning, ZK. Booker How are you, sir? Baruch Hashem. Aren't you happy to be here with me? Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm sure you are. You woke up and said, oh, am I lucky. <laughs> it's a morning with Miriam. Catch up on things. Exactly. There is a lot of stuff around here, by the way, for you, but we can talk about that later. If you're a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. If you are a returning listener, thanks, as always, for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what Norman Gilden did. Friend me on Facebook or send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, Miriam at NahumSiegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. I am not being rude. I am just being honest, but I will make sure to get back to you afterwards. Please also follow us on Twitter, NahumSiegelNet. That's all one word. And follow me, Miriam L. Wallach, all one word. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to make it clear at the onset of this show that the show is being pre-recorded earlier in the week than it is usually aired. Um, and as a result, by the time this show airs, the situation in Israel could be completely different from where we are Right now, um, I, I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. It's not the usual peppy, excited, um, over the moon kind of feeling right now, because frankly, that's not where any of us are. And as you can tell from um, Nahum's shows this week, it's really it, it's it's um, it leaves you at a loss for words. And I I commend Nahum for the strong stance that he's been taking on our elected officials and their silence in the matter, um, again, and I mean that in t- uh, at this point in the week. And I also, like Nachum, want to commend every organization that has gotten together to pray and to give chizuk um, on behalf of our three boys who were kidnapped last week. And I do mean R. I certainly do mean R. This show today is going to have a little bit of a different feel. We have two wonderful guests coming up who are both return um, voices and faces and uh, to That's Life and are not unfamiliar here at the network. Ruchi Shoritz, Rochelle Shoritz, founder of Sharsheret, will join us a little bit later in the program. And then towards the second half of the program, Robbie Berman, founder of Hode, uh, Halachic Organ Donors Society, will be joining us as well. However, um, I, I don't, I don't think it would be right for at this present moment to go on with That's Life the way we usually do as business as always, or business as usual. Um, I'm going to skip the fortune cookie. I'm honestly not feeling a fortune cookie right now, and I'm, uh, I will probably get to the national holidays later in the show, but I don't feel like doing it right now either. What I do want to do is play a song that um, f- speaks to me right now from where I am, from where I'm sitting, from where I think many of us are sitting. Those, those are the words Omek Hadavar sings in the song Va'ani, off of their Depth of the Matter album. And that is a song I'd like to play for you this morning here on That's Life. Oh, 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 oh,
That was Omik Hadavar's Va'ani off of their Depth of the Matter album. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Again, taking a little bit of a different tone here today. I am Miriam L. Wallach. We do have a couple other things to go through, and um, Rochelle Shorts from Sharshar will join us in just a minute. I'll be playing a couple of other songs throughout the program this morning. I do want to thank Norman Gilden, by the way. Um, I gave him a shout-out a couple of minutes ago. He met with me this week. He taught me so much about Migdal Or. It's an incredible institution in Israel they do really wonderful, wonderful things. My thank you to Norman for uh, the education and for meeting with me, and I look forward to learning more about it. Shout out to everyone, by the way, who has already downloaded the app and who has been posting and commenting on our app. We really do appreciate it. Uh, national holidays. Today is Dump the Pump Day. I guess that's for people who are driving hybrids, like yours truly. I do love my hybrid. I like filling it up every three weeks or so. Garfield the Cat Day. I'm not sure he deserved a day, but... Somehow or another, he got one. It's Juneteenth, because it's June 19th. Not sure what kind of a celebration that is. It's recess at work day. Frankly, I'm instituting it. I don't know what we're going to do for recess here, but there is a park down the block, and I've always wanted to go on those swings, so today might be the day. And the insurance guy is next to us. Somehow or another, during the day, almost daily, you can hear a ball bouncing in the hall, and uh, they go play, and good for them. You know, they have recess at work every day. They, um, I'm kidding, of course, because they actually work very hard, as as do we all, but they make sure to play basketball and get out there in the good weather, and this week is no exception. 
They'll, they're playing it when it's below zero. That's true. <laughs> That's true. They do. They get out there. They get out there. So every time I hear the ball bouncing in the hall, the the teacher in me wants to go out and go outside into the hall and tell somebody to hold the ball. Um, it's also World Sickle Cell Day and World Sauntering Day. I'm not sure how you saunter in celebration of World Saunter Day, but that's not something um, that's not something I would do in public. By the way, <laughs> a shout out to Shoshi Zamek, who's actually here with us this morning, because not only has she been my right hand man gal for the last week and a half, which is a gift. Yeah, she reminds me this is a gift. I should not kick the gift horse in the mouth. Um, she has been absolutely incredible, and there's you know my policy. I actually emailed Leora yesterday. We can't we can't get your mic on because ZK is doing thirty other things right now. Oh, your mic is on. Your mic is on. Good morning. Hello, Shoshi. How are you? Good. You know what I emailed Leora Zomic yesterday was that our policy here at the Nakam Siegel Network is the more Zomics the better. She told me about that. <laughs> Isn't that a good policy? Doesn't it make sense? It works. Yeah. It does work. It certainly does work. Um, and again, I mean, I know you just heard me thank you, but I really do thank you because you have made my life a lot more misudar. I do what I can. You, you are amazing. You are amazing. You made it a lot more structured and easier to deal with in the last week and a half. And, um, I'm ready for Hask not to keep, let you keep your job for the summer, but I guess that would not be good. I'm going back to camp. Right. I guess that would not be good for Hask. It would not be good for the kids, but it certainly would be good for me. Anyway, you're listening to That's Life here at the Nakam Siegel Network. And my first guest is on the line. Rochelle Shoritz is the founder of Sharsheret. It was her story, her inspiration that brought us and the community, and I would have to say the Jewish community around the world, Sharsheret. Sharsheret.org is where you can find all the information about Sharsheret's programs and what Sharsheret does. And uh, luckily enough, we have Ruchi, we have Rochelle on the phone this morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you, and you? Thank God, thank God. No complaints. I do want to wish you a Mazel Tov, by the way. It's a little bit belated, but I caught on Facebook. You were honored by Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center on June 10th, and you were recognized as uh, one of the 100 everyday heroes who lead the fight against cancer. Kola Kavod to you. Thank you. Although the truth is I really went accepting that award on behalf of the staff at Charcheret. You know, we, we can't do what we do without them, and there are 16 of us now on our team. And so um, I really recognize that evening and every day that this work can only be done with an incredible group of dedicated men and women, and we have those here at Charcheret. Well, isn't that part of what makes Charcheret so amazing is that the infrastructure and, again, those links that provide the strength for men and women whose family members are going through breast cancer or ovarian cancer. And so the, the, the way Sharsheret is structured itself within your offices is just a middle of, a little bit of like a microcosm of what the bigger picture of Sharsheret is like. Yeah, that's, yeah I, th- I think that's a really good analogy. It's true. I mean, it's an incredible team within the organization and then an amazing group of women and families all across the country who help us provide the kind of peer support, the resources, um, and um, just the general community of togetherness that makes Sharsharat special. What were some of the others, or I should say, who were some of the others honorees that day who either were accepting on behalf of themselves or accepting on behalf of organizations they represent. Because I do want people to understand the enormity of an honor like this and a recognition like this for you and for Sharsharit, both you as an individual and as the leader of a team, as a member of a wonderful team. People should understand the scope of just how great this was. So who else was honored that day? You know, it was a very interesting mix of philanthropists who've given millions of dollars in support of cancer research, um, advocates who work on Capitol Hill to help legislation move forward to enhance uh, available services and care for people who are affected by cancer, um, doctors who've, you know, treated and saved the lives of thousands of patients, and then sort of everyday people, like there was this great man, I forget his name, he brings coffee every day, um, you know, for the past, I think, five years to the women and families who are sitting in the middle of the chemotherapy ward in wow. his local community, and he just goes to, you know, a coffee shop and brings everybody something to drink 
drink every day. He comes in shorts and a sweatshirt, and he's just an ordinary person, but he's doing an extraordinary thing. Um, they had other examples of, you know, young teenage boys who play basketball wearing pink socks to raise awareness about breast cancer because one of their teammates' mom passed away. Um, and just, you know, uh, uh, it was an amazing array of people and community organizations that, you know, do the extraordinary to the ordinary, but all of which just ha- had an impact on the collective cancer experience. So it was really, it was nice to see that kind of diversity in uh, in cancer support. It's really incredible. I mean, those those anecdotes alone speak to the power of one and that the effect that one person can have on either a few people or a large group and how much being in the moment or how much acting or or that call to action, listening to that call to action or recognizing a call to action makes such a difference. I think, I think for, you know, for, to me, the big takeaway was, you know, you don't necessarily need to be a molecular scientist or a geneticist to really um, enhance the quality of life for people living with cancer. Sometimes it's just a matter of recognizing a need, you know, that someone is sitting in, um, you know, the chemotherapy unit uh, and waiting for a long period of time and maybe just needs a blanket to keep them warm um, or, you know, uh, you know, a, a friend's parent, you know, is sick with cancer and, you know, it's not just the meals and the, you know, rides to, to basketball, but sometimes it's just, you know, coordinating the kids to provide baby sitting services for the family. There are little ways that we can all help, and it's not just about cancer. Really, I think the evening for me opened up the possibility of just recognizing the needs of people who are having a tough time in any aspect of life, and you don't necessarily need millions of dollars or a major medical center behind you. Sometimes you just need to open your eyes and recognize that there are little ways that you can help. Wow, that's that's really good, Musar. I I I did let our audience know that this show was being pre-recorded earlier in the week, and when the show airs during its normal slot, the situation in Israel um, may be completely different from from where we are sitting right now. But something that you're you're talking about now is really about a larger picture, and and um, when we something that Sharsherat is very involved in is very aware of social marketing and hashtags. I mean. When I look at so many of the different posts that either organizations or me or whomever else include in our um, in our posts, whether it's on Twitter or it's on Facebook, it's about being part of a community and it's about everyone doing a little part. So when I look at the posting for Sharsharet where it announced um, the honor at, on June 10th at Mass General, Cancer Hero was a hashtag. And I thought that was so incredible. And being able to even recognize someone who's a family member, a friend, somebody you know, as even through social media, as a, a in a hashtag, as a cancer hero, is still a very powerful thing. And, and something, whether it might be small, it costs nothing to do, but still makes a big impact. I think the power of social media is incredible, and we definitely do see it um, in regards to the situation in in Israel. You know, I think I think in in general the power of our community is incredible, and whether it's through tefillah or um, hashtags, <laughs> the ability for um, the Jewish people to come together, not just in crisis, but you know, in all times, whether it's a celebration or a milestone, is just a special part of being Jewish and. Um, it's definitely a piece of the experience that is the reason behind Sharsheret's success. Sharsheret is not just a cancer organization. We are a cancer organization in the Jewish community, and I think you know that piece of Jewishness is critical to what we do yeah. and how we do it. Wow, that's that's also that's also really. Good, Musser. There's also a program. I, I don't want to deviate from from being able to talk about Shasharit as much as possible. There's on the on the Facebook page. There's the Shasharit Partner of Excellence. Tell me what that is. Um, so Sharsharet partners with about 40 Jewish organizations across the country that are located in, you know, local Jewish communities. So obviously we have a national headquarters in New Jersey. We can't be everywhere, um, but our local partners, our Sharsharet supports partners, are physically located in some target Jewish communities where we know there is unfortunately a lot of cancer and women and families in need of support. So we established this program about five years ago where community organizations agree to develop breast cancer programs programming in their locale, in their, mm. ge- in their geographic unit, 
and um, we recognize about 10 of those partners each year as partners of excellence. They've gone above and beyond. They're conducting community needs assessments. They're building uh, breast cancer and ovarian cancer programming. Um, they're uh, organizing focus groups of uh, women with breast cancer and ovarian cancer and women at risk uh, to help us enhance our national programs. And we, um, and we highlight them as partners of excellence because of the good that they're doing and the ways in which they're helping us grow our local impact even from the national level. Is that part of what the work that you recently did in Colorado? Uh, yeah, that's a, a Sharsharit Supports partnership. Um, Colorado is a little unique because we're working there with a, a federation agency uh, called Jewish Colorado, um, and they signed on also to become a Sharsharit Supports partner and build programming, and they've got a dedicated staff and lay leadership team that's working to really enhance awareness about breast cancer in Colorado. There have been times that you and I have spoken about communities that are still not ready to say the words breast cancer, to 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 allow members of their community to talk about it openly, to seek help, to seek advice, to to look for for strength for that infrastructure. Has that situation lessened? Has has it become easier, or uh, for lack of a better word, more normal for for mm-hmm. things for those women in, in those situations to be able to reach you? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I think stigma is still a pressing issue in the Jewish community as relates to health issues overall. It's not just cancer. It could be eating disorders. It could be uh, psychosocial issues. It could be anxiety and depression. I mean, I think stigma still exists, um, but I take full responsibility for our own efforts. It's not that women can't reach us or are not allowed to reach us. It's that we have not yet found the right ways to penetrate that stigma, and it's Sharsharit's responsibility to keep working working until we do. Um, I think that there are strategies, and we just need to keep pressing and finding them. Wow. That's a lot of responsibility. I mean, call a kavod to you and way to throw yourself on the bomb, so to speak. But there's, um, but that's really, I guess, as a community leader and as an organization leader, you're saying that, no, if, if this, this technique doesn't work, then we got to go around the wall another way. Yeah, I mean, you know, we started with, um, we started Sharsharit 12 years ago with the notion that we needed to find the right strategies, that it wasn't about who could find us, it's how we were going to be found, and it's our responsibility as a community organization to play to the needs of the specific communities that we address, and if, you know, there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach, we have to find tailored ways to reach communities that are more difficult to penetrate, and that's just a responsibility that I will continue to assume on behalf of Sher Sharet. Wow, that is a huge responsibility. Can I read um, a little bit of your founder's note? Because I'm sure I've read it in the past, but there was a line in there that really struck me that I want to share with our listeners. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Uh, but the stories of those who have joined us through the years are perhaps even more inspiring. They are the stories of the daughters and sisters, sons and brothers who have been touched by cancer and moved by our mission. You have your own Sharsharet story. That concept of a Sharsharet story to me was just eye-opening. What do, I, I know what I think it means. What does a Sharsharet story mean to you? Well, you know, I think when Sharsharit was first founded, a lot of the organization was tied up in the story of a 28-year-old who had been diagnosed in the Jewish community and, you know, started a national organization to find support. And that is my Sharsharit story. Um, And, you know, I I know there came a time when I heard other staff members, volunteers sharing that story, and it struck me as odd that that's my story and everybody else has their own connection to Sharsharit. It could be someone like you who, you know, has a family member who's been affected by breast cancer. It could be somebody like your next-door neighbor who, um, you know, is at risk of cancer. It could be somebody who volunteered at Sharsharit and felt touched by the work that we do. It could be a community member who feels that, you know, cancer research is an important part of the Jewish community's growth. Everybody has some connection to Sharsharit, and it's our responsibility to help people really nurture those stories and figure out what is their connection to Sharsharit, because the founder of Sharsharit is not always going to be around and isn't going to be the founder of Sharsharet forever and ever. The, the organization's continuity depends on each one of us in the Jewish community embracing their connection to the organization and then 
moving that organization forward. So we've worked at the staff level, at the board level, and at the volunteer level to really help people understand what is their charcharette story. And I think each one of us and every one of your listeners has their own charcharette story. You know, it could be a very deep personal connection to the charcharette mission. It could be, you know, an, a, a, a social involvement component. And, and that's how they feel connected. But each one of us has some Sharsharat story. Wow. That is, that is very powerful. Rochelle Shoritz is the founder and executive director of Sharsharat. Sharsharat.org providing support for families with, uh, and, and family members going through breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and a variety of other support systems that they have available. One of the things that, that, um, looking through the site that I don't remember if I knew Sharsharat provided for, um, for, for people, women going through cancer or going through treatment, I should say, um, was the box of makeup, which mm. I thought to be such a sensitive and um, just incredible concept. Mm-hmm. So we call that Best Face Forward, and it's not just makeup. It's really health care and beauty products that can enhance a young woman's ability to get back out, you know, to her job, um, date, celebrate a, a simcha. We found that some women were really hesitant to go out um, because they just didn't look the same. Their, you know, their image, their own sense of self-image was affected by cancer treatment, whether it's chemotherapy or radiation um, or even just the side effects of a medication that they may be taking to manage a side effect. Um, and so um, a young woman who lost her mother to cancer developed Best Face Forward, and it's a kit of resources, but also information about how to take care of your skin, how to take care of your body, how to take care of your face during chemotherapy um, because so much of your physical appearance can be changed as a result of the medications. The, the box speaks to something which is a, which is a topic or, or an issue that, that has been on my mind for a while, and I guess for lack of a better term, it would be called re-entry. How uh-huh. does a, a person who has survived cancer, and by the way, just for people who are looking on the shasharit.org website right now, which I recommend that you do, if you look at the left side of the page on the menu bar that says support at every stage, it really provides support at every stage. Someone who was recently diagnosed, someone who is living with breast cancer, living with advanced breast cancer, living with ovarian cancer. And then the next options, the next tabs are a breast cancer survivor, an ovarian cancer survivor. They really meet you where you are. So if you think that there's a part of Shasharit that doesn't apply to where you are in your life and in your situation right now, I, I can guarantee you you're wrong. They have tremendous amount of resources. But going back to the other topic just for a second, let's talk about that reentry. How does a woman, how does a family, how does a, a wife, a mother, a single woman start reentering the world after they are in the in remission or in in any stage that they are, but when I guess you could say when they are ready to reenter the world? You know, I think part of what we strive to do at Charcharet is help women and families feel like they've never left the world. You know, mm. the cancer treatment is a part of life, but it doesn't have to be one's entire life. And I think um, with the right mix of psychosocial support, peer support, and resources, you know, one can really continue to live a full and robust life even in the midst of treatment and mm. beyond. Um, I think for women who, you know, have taken a break from work, for example, or, you know, have been resting after um, a long surgery. I think re- re-entry, I, although I don't love that word, re-entry is, is a slow and very individualized process. And what we do at Charcharet is really help give each woman and family the very specific resources that they may need over time. I think when people say, I don't need to call Charcharet, if they do, I mean, now we, we unfortunately receive 300 or so phone calls every week. But um, when, when, women, um, when women call, the org- when women say, I don't really need to reach out to Sharsharet, I think um, it's sometimes hard for us to take help, um, you know, especially as Jewish women. We want to be on the giving end. It's harder to be on the receiving end. Um, but we need women who are calling who feel great and who, you know, are having a really good cancer experience to serve as peer supporters for those who may be in places where there aren't as many resources and not as many um, other Jewish women to whom they can turn for support. So I think there are reasons on both ends. There are those who can call
call because they need some guidance and support, some individualized navigation as they move past their diagnosis, and others who can actually offer to be peer supporters and help others who may not need resources but probably have really great experiences that they can share with others. I, by the way, I hear your um, concern with the word reentry, and I, I completely apologize. I did not mean to offend in the least bit, and I... No. I don't find it offensive. I think, you know, there's a lot that we all as a community, you know, there are a lot of illnesses and diseases that I don't know anything about. I haven't experienced them personally. And I think a lot of what Sharsherit does is educate the community about what it means to live with cancer. For example, people think that women living with metastatic breast cancer are all, you know, going to die. And metastatic breast cancer can be a manageable disease. Yes, there is no cure at the moment, but many women, myself, included are living long lives past a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis. You know, some people think that if you are carrying a BRCA gene mutation, you're definitely going to get breast cancer. Yes, the rate is high, but it's not a certainty. So a lot of the education work that we do at Charcharet is really about, you know, how do we have conversations about breast cancer that are meaningful and well-informed? And I think the notion that all women who have cancer, um, you know, sort of disengage from life, um, we find anyway with the young women that we serve, it just can't be true. Many of them are dating. Many of them have careers. Many of them are raising families. There really is no opportunity to just disconnect and then have to re-enter. But psychologically, psychosocially, there may be that point in time where women just need an opportunity to like to return to normal and go back to the way, um, you know, life was. It'll be different. You know, you learn a lot right. of lessons during right. the cancer experience. It's never going to quite be the same. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's not an issue of being offensive. It's, I think it's an issue of just raising awareness about what life with cancer can really be like for the Jewish women we serve. Well, I think that that is an excellent message, and I, I appreciate you re-educating me or, or bettering my education is probably a good way to put it. Rochelle Shore, it's founder and executive director of Sharsheret, sharsheret.org. You can go to Sharsheret. Um, you can donate to Sharsheret if you have a family member. If you don't, if you understand the importance of their work and of this cause, Give what you can. Rochelle, as always, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. A pleasure. Take care. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Miriam L. Wallach. I'm going to play another track that, again, speaks to me right now today as we are all hanging on word, um, everything going on in Israel, and our thoughts and prayers are with the families and with those three boys who we pray for... We pray for their good health. We pray for their safe return. Um, we pray for the strength um, for their families to continue and for all of us for Kal Yisrael um, to, to continue to be united and pray on their behalf and, and continue our resolve to make sure that these boys get home without one hair on their head being touched. I'm going to play Arya Kunstler's B'Shem Hashem. It is a song that gives me a tremendous amount of nechama and is actually, of course, as a parent, something I sing with my kids Um at night, and a tefillah for every parent to every child. Bishem Hashem Elokei Yisroel Mimini Michoel Umismoli Gavriel Umilfonai Umilfonai Uriel Umiachorai
That was B'Shem Hashem by Arye Kunstler. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. And my second guest is joining me here in the studio. He's actually in from Israel, which is exciting. The last time Robbie Berman was on, we definitely had a great conversation. Um, he's just making sure that his cans work as we speak. But I will quickly introduce Robbie. Robbie is the founder and director of HODES, the Halachic Organ Donor Society. You can go to HODES.org, H-O-D-S dot org to learn more information besides what you hear in this interview. H-O-D-S dot org. Good morning, Robbie. Good morning, Boker Tov. How are you? Baruch Hashem. How are you? Good. I'm going back to Israel tomorrow. I'm very excited to be oh, here. Oh, really? Thank you very much for squeezing me in in this tight schedule. Oh, that's fantastic. <clears throat> well, our listeners do know that we have, uh, that we are recording this show in advance of Thursday, a couple days early, so I don't want people to think that you're going back on Shabbos. Chas Right, 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 right. So, yes, I'm happy that this worked out. Um, the timing actually worked out really well for you to become for you to it, come in the studio. It was all Bashar. I came in for, specifically from Israel because the uh, Alliance of Orthodox Jewish Nurses have a conference every year. They have about 500 members in their Facebook group and about 100 came to this conference. Um, and uh, I asked them before, I think there was 180 people that showed up and I asked them how many people here think Halakha supports organ donation mm-hmm. and 96 out of 108 said it's absolutely forbidden. Wow. So uh, it was a, quite a challenge. Right. I was able to give a presentation. Which Where was it, by the way? It was in Toro College. Okay. And uh, it was quite a challenge and I gave a presentation and then I showed them Piskei Lacha and they still were hemming and hawing but then I showed them videos of certain rabbis and they said, well, those rabbis aren't from enough and his beard's not long enough. But then I showed them Rav David Feinstein, right down here from the right. other side. It's hard, <laughs> right. it's hard to really it's argue. pretty hardcore. He says, you know, I spoke to right. my dad, and my dad said to me, forget about what you read. And, you know, he said to me that the person who can't breathe and he looks dead and he's not breathing, he's dead, even if you're artificially keeping his heart pumping by attaching the body to a ventilator. And you should donate organs, and it's a mitzvah. So uh, it was really an amazing uh, an amazing event. When I look back, seriously, when I look back at my 12 years of activity on this issue, that event is is one of the highlights because the day after that I lectured, um, I heard from people who are in this closed Facebook group that it was all a fire with mm. people talking about the Halachic Organ Donor Society and going to HODS.org, et cetera, et cetera. So that was really a, a great achievement, and I'm really happy and proud that we were able to pull that off. So I guess that brings up my first question, was, which is how much time do you spend <clears throat> educating the public? Well, I only do this really uh, – this is a job. I only really do it in the mornings. And also in the in the afternoons and uh, in the evenings and on Saturdays and Sundays. Right. It's like when people ask me if my job is full time and I say right. seven twenty four and a half. Right. 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 <laughs> no, I work on Shabbat. I mean, I lecture on Shabbat. I'm fundraising on Sundays. It's 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 really insane. But how long do you spend, or how much of the of the time that you spend as the director of Hodes do you spend educating the public, letting them know that there is halachic backing to being an organ donor. So I spent an inordinate amount of time. First of all, if you just take a look at my website, the HODS.org, you can see a lecture of all of my, you can see a list of all of my lectures. So I've lectured in 12 different countries over the past 12 years to 40,000 Jews. Wow. So if you, if you figure that out, how many lectures, and that's just the official lectures. And every Shabbat meal I go to, people mm-hmm. say, you know, what do you do? Oh, I'm a computer programmer. What do you do? I'm a lawyer. What do you do? Oh, I run the halachic organ donor. Really? Right. How your does instant, that work? Your instant Shabbos lunch oh conversation. Oh, my God. It should, if, I hear, I'll, if I hear one more question about don't we need our organs for resurrection of the dead, I'm just going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know. From Jews? From Jews. That's what you're hearing. Yes. Yes. Resurrection. You need your organs. Like they, they're unaware. These are these are modern, educated people, and they're unaware that when they die, their organs disintegrate in the ground. They're just unaware. They think magically they still have their organs. And I like to point like out, like we're embalmed, <clears throat> right? Like okay. we're embalmed. First of all, I like to point out that in the in the Bible, right, in the, in the one book it talks about resurrection. In the book of Yechezkel, it talks about the resurrection of the dry bones of Ezekiel. It doesn't talk about the resurrection of the dry bones in the pancreas and the liver. It only talks about the resurrection <laughs> of the dry bones because that's all you have. But these people, for some reason, think that also, you know, they need they need to be buried with their organs because magically they don't they don't disintegrate. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous because you're kind of saying to God, "Yeah, God, I know you want to resurrect millions of Jews who were cremated in the Holocaust, but I guess you can't <laughs> because you don't have their organs." And Israelis blown up in, in, in tanks and buses, and you right. can't, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. And and there's no source for that anywhere. Nowhere in classical Jewish literature does it say that you need to be buried whole in order to be resurrected. It says you should be buried whole for sure. The same way it says you should be kosher. And you shouldn't drive on Shabbat, for right, sure. Right. But you're supposed to do all these things if it's pikuach nefesh, if you can save a life. So those things are 
I so these are, these are Bubba Mices that we've heard right. from somewhere. But well, we have some really exciting news I wanted to share with you now that we're on the right. air. Yes. First of all, the chief rabbi of Rome, Roma, I just got back from Tuscany, as you can see from some of the bruises in my arm. That's I was nice. bike riding for seven days, uh, except for Shabbat. Uh, I, I did 70 kilometers a day for seven days, and I gained three kilo. That's not bad. Because we had a kosher gourmet chef following us around and shoving pasta down our throat giving us an IV of, of wine, and I just gained three kilo, even though it was ridiculous. Consider how much you really would have gained exactly. had, had you not been exactly. cycling as much as you did. Anyway, so the chief rabbi of Rome, who's a physician, just came out and got our organ donor card. That makes 13 chief rabbis of different countries and cities around the world. Am chief I rab- right that Rav Steinsaltz also has a card? Yes, Adin Steinsaltz has an organ donor card. And speaking of Adin Steinsaltz, do you know he's Chabad? I did know that. Well, listen to this. Okay, I am listening. I love. Well, this is a great control of the microphone. Yeah, I, can I really, have to say, I don't remember the last I can time really I seeded control of my own show this dramatic. much. But I can uh, make this so much more <laughs> dramatic because I can go closer and I can go further Right. Out. So here I go. I'm going to okay. really listen to this. Rabbi Steinsaltz is, is Chabad, and we have a number of Chabad rabbis who have our organ donor card. But this week, as we speak, this past week, the Sydney Bethan of Australia issued a psakalacha that any from any Jewish family that wants to do organ donation from a brain-dead loved one, they will help facilitate the transplant. In other words, they're coming wow. out in support of organ donation, acceptance of brain death, and this is the Chabad Bethan. It's Rabbi not Gutnick. just in support. Well, one second. It's not just in support. It's an active support. Yes, yes. That, that I think, is the difference. I mean, mm-hmm. something that we've talked about and we actually talked about at the beginning of this show is that everyone can have a role in something and that, that, that um, in some way or another, even small moves can affect a great great group. So right. here, in a million years, I'm not comparing, comparing the Bethden of Sydney to a small group. But it's one thing, it would still be great had they just handed down this psaac and said it is halakhically permissible for somebody who's brain dead to, to, for, them, for their organs to be harvested and be given to someone else. Right. But in this case, they're not only saying that, but they're saying we will help facilitate that. Right. That's incredible. And I've got other good news. Okay. But it's not connected to our issue. Okay. Um, but it you, is. Do you, do you know the TV show Homeland? I I I or do you not want to talk about it. No 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 no. I I know it in the fact that I know that it exists and <clears> I know it is based off an so Israeli show, so but here, I don't know so, more than that. So here's the humorous thing of it. Okay. Homeland was created by an Israeli. Right. And he's just coming out with a new show called Tyrant, and it's airing next week in in America. There's ten episodes airing this whole summer. Is this a punchline? This is a real story. This is a real story. Okay. This is true. It's okay. not a story. It's it's my it's a Maisa Shahoya. Amen. Uh, Amen. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, I dabble in the arts of acting, and I got a part. I got a role in playing an Arab doctor that's talking about brain death. No way! In the, in in the TV show, that's great. I'm flying back to Israel tonight so I can land on th- tomorrow, so I can land on Thursday and be ready for the shoot on Sunday, and it'll be on television on on, on uh, FX uh, television. That's great! Isn't that wild? That is a lot of fun. Gets even better. You ready? You're not going to be are harvest you, anything on the show, are, are you? Are you sitting down? I actually am. Yeah. The Jerusalem Film Festival is opening up on July 10th. And they're opening up with a movie. They usually open up with the biggest movie they think is going to be a blockbuster. So it's called Aravim Rokdim, which means Dancing Arabs. I got a role in Dancing Arabs. I'm in the movie. I got the one comedic role in the movie. Isn't that fun? There's Yes, that is a lot of fun, but I'm trying to figure out. As soon as I come on stage and then I appear, which is a comedic role, I'm going to get up. It's, it's playing in Sultan's Pool, 3,000-seat auditorium outdoors with a movie screen the size of four Mack trucks. And as soon as I appear on screen and when my scene is over, I'm going to get up and turn to the audience and say, now can I get a date? <laughs> <laughs> the Jerusalem Film Festival is starting this Monday? July July. 10th, not this Monday. Oh, July, July 10th. July 10th. July 10th. Yes, it's a Thursday night. Because I was just wondering how in this Matzav they're going to be playing a movie uh, called Dancing Arabs. You would but be, you, let's just move on from there. Let's, yes. <laughs> let's, back, let's focus back on Hodes. Again, we're talking about Hodes, the Halakhic Organ Donor Society. You can go to hods.org to learn more information. How many people on average sign up a month? Um, I don't know the numbers per month, but what's important for us is really the metrics that we use is how many rabbis sign up. And so far, oh, when I started the organization 12 years ago, only two rabbis had organ donor cards in the world, two Orthodox rabbis, and today we have 238. So wow. that's huge, huge, huge. And also the number of Israelis. When I started uh, 12 years, years ago, only 3% of Israelis had organ donor cards, and today it's uh, close to 15%. So we've had a really? huge impact. We're way behind America, which is 45%, but uh, we, we have a, had a huge impact. And we brought down the numbers. 120 Israelis were dying waiting on the list every year, hmm. and now it's only 80. What's I mean, the block there? Why is progress taking longer there? 
Um, Jews are very superstitious, uh, specifically Sephardim, specifically the French Jews. I mean, they're very superstitious about the body. They think you can never touch uh, a dead body. Um, and they can't get over, they can't wrap their head around the fact that you're allowed to cut into a dead body to save a stranger's life. Don't, don't, don't forget also that, you know, you don't get to choose who the organ goes to. The organs go to someone not Jewish, it can go to a, 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 a Thailandese worker, it can go right. to an Arab, it can go to a, whomever. But, you know, you don't discriminate in the hospital. It's not legal or considered to be moral in any country in the world. So you can't do it in America, you can't do it in Israel. And some people say, well, I don't want my organs to go to an Arab. And I say, well, putting aside the ethical and moral problems with that position, mm-hmm. right, um, exactly. even the shitatcha, even according to your own philosophy, if one person can, can donate eight organs, basically what you're saying is because of demographics in Israel, seven organs usually go to Jews and one goes to an Arab because the majority of people in Israel are Jews. Okay. So basically what you're saying is I'd rather let seven Israelis die than let one, than let, then save one Arab. If I have to save one Arab and uh, to save, save Jews, save seven Jews, I'd rather not save the seven Jews and let the Arab die. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's really a crazy, crazy. It's very hard being the light, being the light onto other nations. Yeah. Yeah, we could use a lot more light. Mm. We could use a lot more light. It's, uh, yeah, it's a tough week. It is, yeah. it is certainly a tough week. And our, obviously, as we keep saying, our thoughts and prayers but are with the families. Yeah. Uh, but in, in focusing, in focusing on the, the comment that you just made, which is a staggering number, and I, I don't think I ever realized this, you can donate, each person can donate eight organs? Yeah, well, that's the number. It's a little hard to count. I mean, you can donate, uh, a corneas, skin, a pancreas, liver, which cut in two, uh, lungs cut in two, two kidneys. So it comes out to about eight. That's the number that we use in the industry. But typically, you can save eight lives, one person. I I can't say I ever thought it was that the number was that high. Yeah, and every person that I speak with that, that decides to donate, I mean, they look back and they say, you know, on that Black Tuesday when my brother died or my son died, there are eight points of light, eight little hmm. stars in that black night where I, where I know that, that uh, people's lives were saved because of them. And that brings them... An, and in, as much comfort as they can get, that that's where the comfort comes from. Otherwise, wow. when you have these deaths that are just needless deaths and sad, tragic deaths and painful deaths, um, when they can save other people's lives, that brings them an incredible amount of chama. Bone marrow donors often meet their recipients. Yeah, is that is that is that a case here? Uh, they do sometimes. It's not as frequent as you would think. Is uh, that because? And I'm well, again well, from a complete point of of ignorance. Is that because we're unable to say this is who it went to, that there are records, et cetera, and that we want to prevent, we want to preserve someone's privacy? Or is it because it's just not emotionally or psychologically healthy for either the recipient or the donor? Or is it just practically it doesn't work? If both parties agree after a certain time period, uh, they put in a request to Israel transplant and then they, and then they introduce each other with a, with some mediator or a psychologist or someone mm-hmm. to, to mediate. Um, some people don't want to. They don't want to feel indebted to a family. Don't forget that most of the people that we're talking about here are people who are who have donated upon death. So they're not meeting them. It's the family meeting them. Mm. And then the person who's you know who's kind of feels a little creepy. You know they're walking around with a, a boy's liver and you're going to meet the family mm. and he, they want to touch your belly to feel the liver. I mean uh, it gets a little right. bit. Um, a little bit Too uncomfortable close, right. and um, and also I feel it's a little bit pagan really to feel as if. I understand that they feel it, it's beautiful they were able to save people's lives, but some people feel, oh, my son is still alive because his liver is mm. alive. But your son isn't alive. I mean, the liver is an organ. It's not the organism. The human being is dead. And, and organs alive. It doesn't mean that – and it's a little bit pagan, I feel. But, uh, hey, every, you know, everyone deals with it however they want to deal with it. Can someone decide that what they want to donate? Yes. You can say, I only want to donate X, Y, or Z. But uh, typically the only things that they don't donate – uh, if they choose not to donate, is something external, which might disfigure the body upon burial, such as cornea or skin. So they'll say, I'll donate all internal organs, but not... Once you're going internal, it doesn't really matter. But uh, some people say, I don't want you to take the skin, I don't, I don't want you to take the, the corneas. Is there... Um, that's interesting. That's interesting. It's not I, I have a I question for you. How many... Sure. First of all, do you have an organ donor card from I, the halachic organ donors? I don't. Study? And the truth of the matter oh. is, is that after our conversation the last time, I had said to myself... Um, that this was something obviously not only that I needed to do, that's something that I wanted to do. And, and, um, my husband has a directive that he knows that, and I'm saying this on the air, I don't want to take anything with me. Right. I, I don't need it. <laughs> actually, one halakha problem is a lot of women come over to me and ask me if it's luckily permissible to donate their husband's organs before they're actually dead. And right. Well, you know, a... I hear that, but that's not just a halakha issue. Right. Um, <laughs> but there's, um, yeah, and, and ZK is giving me the dirty looks that I only have. What? What do you want to tell me? What do you want to tell me? 
Ah, okay, good. All right, Four so we minutes. only have a couple of questions, a couple of minutes left with Robbie. So I want to know why. So, so when, how is it we can get you and Stephen to get an organ donor card? Well, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to speak for Stephen because, as you can imagine, knowing Stephen, it's probably not a good idea to speak for Stephen. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely something that we can do off the air. I don't have a problem with that. That would actually be my pleasure, and I'm sure there's an affidavit or some kind of uh, notary if involved. You, if you, <laughs> no, if you just go to HODS.org, you can, you, sign you, can up register, that way. you can register right online. We've had, an, unfortunately, we had a, um, a fanatic, pernicious person who was attacking and is attacking our website for the past month and has taken the website down numerous times. Uh, and it's cost us like $20,000 to oh, fight this guy. Oh, my word. Um, it's incredible. Just an activist? Just Oh, uh, yeah, someone who believes that religiously it's not permissible and will do everything he can in his power to 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 ruin our website. Um, and it's just unbelievable how much damage he's done. I've had people call me up and say I'm giving over Shavuot. Someone said I'm giving a lecture in, in Male Dumim and I need your Makoros and I need your the website. Where, I said it's down. What do you want me to do? It's all down. You have to wait. And, and it goes up and down occasionally. It's it's awful. It's unbelievable right. the amount of the amount of damage. evil you can do if a person just puts all that talent into doing good in the world. Right. Let's use our powers for for good right. and not for evil. Um, yeah. Hodes.org. H O D S. Dot .org, the org, org does not stand for organs, by the way. Yes, and I'm happy we cleared that up also. Halakhic Organ Donor Society, um, that is where you can sign up. I do want to ask you one more question about uh, the chief rabbi of Rome. Yes. How did you get to him and get him to sign the card? Um, I came back from Italy. I was doing a bike ride there, and I figured I've got so much Italiano in me from being in Italy for so many for right, seven days. Right, you're one of those people who travels overseas and all of a sudden picks up the accent. Yeah, yeah okay. And uh, and I loved it. So I went to the Italian synagogue in Jerusalem uh, this past Shabbat, and I and who's there? The chief rabbi. He says, "Oh, I've heard about you. I've seen your website. It's great." I said, "So how about getting the card?" He goes, "Yeah, I'd love to." So right there on the spot, uh, we after Shabbat I called him up and we signed the deal, and he's got our card. No joke. Yeah, I sent it a photographer was just, over. Seriously, just, that easy. Just bumping into him. Unbelievable. Yeah. Who else yeah. have been bumping into? Uh, who else have I been bumping into? Um, my niece and nephew at MDS, eight years old, adorable. And we're not having them sign cards. No, okay, no. I didn't I was, know where you were going with this no, one. No, I was buying them hot chocolate. God, that, that is <laughs> that is a much better story than the opposite. Robbie, I, I, I can't thank you enough, first of all, for the work that you're doing, and second of all, for making the time, especially before you travel back to um, to Eretz Israel and, and uh, going home. And call uh, Hakavod on your work here, and good luck with all those other things you got going on. Thank That's you. exciting. Yes. That yeah, is, exciting. <clears throat> it is Check very it exciting. Out. Tyrant. It's called Tyrant on, on, uh, F, on FX. FX. Yes. FX. Yes. Tyrant. Ty- That's I'm great. I'm Dr. Mansour, and I'm an Arab from Ramallah, and we are dealing You're gonna with be passing in the uh, subdural hematoma, and we're trying to induce a coma in order to relieve the pressure on the brain stem, and that is what we do in the hospital. All right. Well... Um, as long as you're not actually performing any medical procedures <laughs> on camera, good luck with that. <laughs> HODS.org. Robbie Berman, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. You've been listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And um, as we explained, this is a show that's taken a different flavor, has a different feel to it than other shows. I'm going to be pulling up in the background, or I should say ZK is going to be pulling up in the background. Hinach Yafa by Eyal Yifrach. He is one of the three boys who was abducted last week. This is a song that he wrote and performed at his sister's wedding just a couple of weeks ago. Nachum has been playing it on the air, and it is the song that I want to close with and the song that we'll be listening to as I go through the lineup for the rest of the day. We have a full afternoon of programming right after that. Life. The live lunch starts with Nachum at 11 o'clock. It goes from 11 to 1. As we say, we start with brunch and we end with lunch. Today at 1 p.m., the stunt show is hosted by Daniel Gordon. Daniel will play a collection of country songs, some new and some old. You know, country songs are Daniel's thing. And he'll explain what they mean to him. And then starting at 2 p.m., Throwback Thursdays, encoring Jamie Nam from years past, which is always an enjoyable show. Homeward Band with Yigal Siegel encores, encores at 4.30. By the Book, hosted by Nahum, encores at 5. Michael Fragan's spin class at 6 p.m. And I imagine there is plenty to talk about this week. Charlie Bernhout at 7 p.m. wrapping up the lineup. Tune in all day long. Join Nahum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 as he hosts Jamie the AM live here on the stream at NahumSiegel.com and JamieTheAM.org. And remember, Malcolm will be live in the studio tomorrow and taking phone calls. It is a very, very active week and a very serious week. You should make sure and give a call. Call into the show, 201-209-9368. Malcolm will be taking your calls. And, of course, tomorrow uh, at 9 a.m., Naomi and table for two. Naomi's making pasta. Yes, tomorrow Naomi's making pasta, and there's wine to go with it because we would like to pair our pasta with wine. So Jay Bookspam from our friends at Kedem will join Naomi and members of the Pasta Authority as they cook pasta and pair it with different 
different red wines and different white wines. Yes, the song is coming up in the background. An updated 2014 schedule on our website, NachumSiegel.com, is available. And with that, I thank ZK for a wonderful program. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Ah, ah, ah.